Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join Pastor Will Price with the message, Worship. Um, today we are in the book of John chapter 4. So if you go ahead and grab your Bible and turn there, that's going to be our main text for today. We are going to take a look at Psalm chapter 95 here in just a little bit, so if you want to uh, place a marker there, that would be great too. The title of my message today is Worship. Worship. Many weeks ago, Pastor Mike asked me um, to speak today, and I prayed and I asked God, you know, what is it that you want me to um, to share with these people, and, and I wrestled with a couple of different things, and then I just really felt like uh, a lot of confirmation came when I began to, uh, to think about talking to you guys about worship, and I think it's, it's fitting, being the worship pastor, don't you? So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll dive right in. Father, thank you for the opportunity to, to come here and to worship you. Thank you for the opportunity to, to dig into your word um, God, I pray that your word would come alive to us today. God, I pray that you would open up our hearts, open up our minds, and God, I pray that today that uh, what is said here, what is learned here, what is done here would, would change us and conform us more into the image of your son, Jesus, and it's his, in his name, amen. 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 So, worship. If I were to give you the sermon in a sentence, or, or if I were to give you uh, um, one big idea or bottom line for today's message, I would say this, that God has called us to worship him in spirit and truth. God has called you and he's called me, okay, he's called us as a, a body of believers to worship him in spirit and in truth. Now our main text again is John chapter four, specifically verses 19 through 23, and we're gonna go there here in just a moment. But before we look at our main text today, I think it's very appropriate that we contextualize our main text by taking a look at the verses that lead up to it. So put your seatbelts on, because here we go. You ready? All right, so in the beginning of John chapter four, what we learn is that Jesus was traveling to Galilee, and on his way there, he decided to go through Samaria. Now, going through Samaria was not normal for a Jew because Jews did not associate with Samaritans. So why does Jesus go through Samaria? Well, what we're gonna learn here in just a moment is that traveling through Samaria was really just a divine setup so that a Samaritan woman would have a divine encounter with Jesus. And so the story goes that Jesus arrives in Samaria and he stops at a well because he's tired and thirsty. And while he's at the well, he encounters the Samaritan woman. And he turns to her and he asks her for a drink. Well, the woman at the well, in shock, turns to Jesus and she says this. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her and said, listen, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, well, you would have asked me 
and I would have given you living water. Verse 11, the woman says, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is very deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you somehow greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And then Jesus answered to her in verse 13, listen, whoever drinks of this water, talking about the water from the well, they'll thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. But the water that I give shall give him, will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And this woman turns to Jesus and says, wow, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst again nor come here to draw ever again. And by the way, this is where it gets interesting because in this next moment, Jesus sort of flexes his divine nature and he begins to tell this woman things about her that he should not know. Verse 16, he says, why don't you go and call your husband and have him come here real quick? And the woman says, what do you mean? I don't have a husband. Verse 18, Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've actually had five. And the one you're with now is not your husband. And so in this moment, this woman is very impressed with Jesus' ability to know specific details about her life. And so she turns to Jesus and says, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And by the way, this is where I really want you to pay attention because what is about to happen is the moment that really sets the stage for our bottom line today, that God has called us to worship in spirit and in truth. Because in verse 20, all of a sudden she, she tries to pull Jesus into this debate, okay? Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. I perceive that you have special knowledge, that you're very wise, and so I've got a question for you. And so she says, Jesus, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that it's in Jerusalem where one ought to worship. Which is it? Right, which is it? Where is, where is the appropriate geographical location where one ought to worship? Essentially what this woman is doing is she's, she's trying to pull this Jewish man into a debate about, about worship. And here's what you need to know about Jews and Samaritans. Okay, Jews base their whole religious belief system off of the entire Hebrew canon, or as we know it, the Old Testament. And so when it came to their place of worship, they looked to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 5 through 13. Maybe write that down. You can look at it a little bit later. But in 2 Samuel, what we find is that God made a covenant with David. And he also commissioned David to build a place of worship. And so therefore the Jews chose Jerusalem as their place of worship. Now Samaritans, on the other hand, they base their belief system on what is known as the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible. And so when it came to the Samaritans' place of worship, they looked to Genesis chapter 12, verses six and seven. What we learned there is that a place called Shechem is where Abraham built an altar of worship to God. Therefore, the Samaritans chose Mount Gerizim, which by the way, overlooked Shechem, 
as their place of worship. And so this Samaritan woman wants to know, which place is the appropriate place to worship? What, what, what is the appropriate geographical location for worship? And here's Jesus' response. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. He says, see, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Basically what he's saying is, look, you Samaritans, you've limited your knowledge of God to the first five books of the Bible. You have limited revelation of God. And so you, you worship what you do not know. Jews, we have a full revelation of God up to this point in history. And, and, and so we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Verse 23, here it is, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. And so to answer her question, Jesus says this. He says, look, geographical location no longer plays a role in the lives who worship God. Instead, true worshipers will, will worship, no matter where they are, in truth and in spirit. Now that word worship, in our English dictionary is defined as reverence or adoration. If you look at the original Greek word for worship, the word is proskunio, and it literally means to fall down and kiss the feet of a king. It can also mean to pay homage to or to give reference to as our English word also means. And so Jesus says, look, from now on, this, this act of worship, this, this, uh, this bowing down, this homage, this reverence to God, listen, it's, it's no longer about these external factors that we wanna try to make it about, okay? It, it, it no longer has anything to do with geographical location. Instead, he says it's to be done in spirit and in truth. Now that word spirit, is not to be confused with God's spirit. When Jesus says that worship is to be done in spirit, what he's talking about is the human spirit. And the idea here, again, is that worship is not about the external. It's not about the, the, the external religious ritual. It's not about the external geographical location. It's not about the external, external historical customs that may have been passed down through generations. No, true worship is about an attitude of the heart. He says it's to be done in truth. As far as the word truth is concerned, the idea here is that God is looking for worship that is consistent with and centered on his word. And so that's the bottom line in a lot of detail for today's message, that God has called us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, by the way, that's actually one of our core values here at Calvary PSL. If you were to go to our website and click on the About Us section and look at our core values, what you will find is this. You will find a phrase that says this. We are passionate about worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth through culturally relevant music. Okay, so here's what I wanna do today. 
I wanna unpack our core value. I wanna unpack this idea of worship that we get from John chapter four, verse 23. And, and I wanna under, uh, help you understand four things. Okay, the first thing I wanna help everyone understand is why we do what we do when it comes to the worship ministry here at Calvary PSL. The second thing is, I wanna help everyone understand what worship is, biblically. The third thing is, I wanna help you understand uh, why we worship. And then here's the last thing. I wanna help us understand how we worship. And, and let me just say this. I understand that worship is so much more than a weekend experience, okay? Worship is uh, certainly the way we live our lives, Monday through Saturday, not just on Sunday. Worship is about uh, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Worship is about visiting orphans and widows in their distress, okay? But that's like a whole other 40-minute message that I don't have time for. And so <laughs> for today, what I wanna do is I really wanna focus in on the what and the why and the how of worship as it pertains to our weekend services. Like, what, what is this all about? When we gather together and, and there's music and there's songs and there's lights and there's all these people singing and there's the teaching of God's word and all that. Like, what, what is this worship experience that we're having every weekend? So what is worship? Is worship music? Is it, is it singing songs? Does worship have a, a particular style? You know, as I, as I survey the, the crowd of people here today, people from different walks, people from uh, different generations, from different thought processes, different ideas, you know, we, we all have a, a, a different opinion about what worship is. If you were to ask a, a non-denominational, a Pentecostal, and a Baptist, what is worship, you're gonna get three very different answers. If you, if you put a, a young person and an older person in a room together to debate what worship is, you're, you're gonna get a, a two different answers on what the style of worship should be. The point is, everyone has an idea of what worship is. And I think one of the reasons why we have so many different opinions about what worship is, is because we tend to define worship through different lenses. We tend to define worship through different lenses. The first lens that I think we tend to define worship through is what I call the lens of religious upbringing. Okay, some of us are here this morning, we've been coming to church for a while, and, and, and we view worship through the lens of our religious upbringing. And so maybe for you, you were raised in an old Baptist church, and, and, and so for you, worship is centered around the great old hymns of the past, and maybe it's accompanied by a piano, right? And if you wanna get really crazy, you bring out an acoustic guitar. And if you wanna take it even further than that, you amplify that guitar, right? Some of you are here this morning and, and, and you were raised a Catholic. And so for you, worship is centered around mass. And it's about forming the cross. It's about bowing and kneeling and maybe taking the Eucharist. There are others in the room today and, and you were raised Pentecostal. And so for you, 
just to be honest, worship is wheels off, man. And it, it is spontaneous. It's singing, it's shouting, it's dancing, it's running around, it's speaking in tongues, it's prophesying. By the way, you're the people that make Church of Christ acapella singers really uncomfortable, okay? But you know, we all have our different idea about what worship is, and, and we tend to view it through this lens of our religious upbringing. The second type of lens that I think we tend to view worship through is what I call the lens of generational influences. Okay, there's multiple generations represented in this room. GI generation, traditionalist, or um, also known as silent generation. There's baby boomers, generation X, millennials, and then this new generation they're calling uh, iGen or, or the centennials. And you know, through the generations, we've all been influenced by a lot of different factors that have really shaped who we are and how we think. I mean, from technology to stylistic changes to philosophical thinking changes. I mean, we've all been shaped differently according to the generation that we grew up in. I believe that our generational influences affect how we view worship. In fact, we often define worship by how it happened during the heyday of our generation. Okay, that's the lens of generational influences. And then the last lens that I wanna share with you is what I call the lens of personal preference. And I think it would be safe to say that your religious upbringing plus your generational influences equals your personal preference. Like much of, of what happened during your generation, much of your religious upbringing sort of helps to define what your personal preference is when it comes to worship, when it comes to how you view worship. But here's the, here's the point. However you view worship, okay, whatever your, your take on worship is, however you wanna define it, one thing I hope we can all agree on is that we need to peel back the layers of these lenses. We need to peel back the layer of generational influences and our religious upbringing, and our personal preference. Why? So that we can get a biblical understanding of what worship is. A biblical understanding of what worship is. And here's why I believe this is so important, okay? Because we all have a way in which we think things should be. All right? We, we, we all have a way. And Proverbs 21.2 says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Right, I think most people are very opinionated. We, we have certain beliefs that, that drive us to think certain ways and to do certain things. Okay, we, we all have a way that is right in our own eyes, but here's the thing. The Bible says that the Lord weighs the heart. The Lord weighs the heart. You see, we all have a way of life. We all have a, a way of operating. We all have a way of thinking that seems right to us. And believe it or not, but, but this happens um, when we talk about worship. We all have a, a way that seems right to us. But what I want you to see this morning is that the Lord's gonna weigh your heart against what you think about worship. Now, how does he do that? How does he weigh my heart? Well, Hebrews 4.12 says this. It says, the word of God 
is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And get this, it is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So we have a way that might seem right to us. We have a way of thinking. We have a way of viewing things, but God weighs the heart against his word. Okay, I I hope you're following me with this because here's the point. We can sit here and we can have a way of worship that seems right in our own minds. And we can, can, we can try to debate about worship like the Samaritan woman tried to do with Jesus. But folks, I think we have to be very careful with this. Why? Because God's gonna wear hearts against the truth of his word. And so again, that's why it's imperative that we look at God's word, right? Peel back these layers, man. Let's look at God's word for truth concerning our worship to him. And so what is worship according to God's word? We're about to get there, but if I could just share with you very quickly a couple of thoughts on what worship is not. Okay, sometimes to understand what something is, we have to look at what it is not, all right? And so here's just a few thoughts of mine as your worship pastor on some things that worship is not. Okay, first of all, I do not believe that worship is a weekend service. Worship is not a weekend service. I mean, today we're gathered here at a weekend service, and in fact, we call it a worship service, but what you need to understand is that that calling it a worship service and, and coming to a worship service does not guarantee that we will worship. I mean, believe it or not, but you can, you can come to a worship service, you can actually sing songs without actually worshiping. I'm reminded of this moment in the Bible when Jesus was interacting with these guys called the Pharisees. Now these Pharisees were these self-proclaimed righteous guys that pretended like they had it all together and they would go to the temple with their robes and their religious rituals and and they would give lip service to God. And this is what Jesus said to them. He said, listen, you, you people, you draw near to me with your mouth, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Folks, worship can happen here at our weekend worship service. But if your heart is not right, then it won't happen. Point is, this is not worship. Being here at this event, this, this weekend event is not worship. Worship has to do with the heart, okay? Here's another thought, worship is not music. Okay, I get the honor and privilege of being your worship pastor. We have a worship leader. We have a worship team. It's so much fun creating environments and creating music and singing songs and watching, watching you guys lift your hands and worship to God. So incredible to be a part of the, the, the music ministry here at Calvary PSL. But please understand, having music and songs does not guarantee our worship. Because music in and of itself is not worship. Honestly, my heart is that the music that we play is really just a vehicle 
to carry us through moments of true heartfelt worship. Does that make sense? The next thought I have is that worship is not a performance. Worship is not a performance. And I have to talk about this because we live in a performance-driven society where if we're not careful, we, we can very easily view worship as a performance that we, we should grade and critique rather than something that we are giving to God. And this happens all the time. And by the way, thank you for your, 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 your encouragement um, about you know the the song set being good and um, you know Matt's guitar playing being okay, um, you know we appreciate you know when you tell us that that it was good. There's nothing wrong with that, but then there's some people who who want to to tell us how it could have been better and, and how this and that. And it's, it's like they're grading it as if it's a performance. Folks, worship is not a performance, okay? You, 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 are, you are not an audience. We are not performers. You are not spectators. But instead, we are all participants in the worship of God. Amen? And then here's the last thought that I have about worship, what worship is not. Um, worship's not a feeling. Worship's not a feeling. See, some people come to a, a, a weekend experience, and if they don't get teary-eyed, or if they don't get a, a chill down their spine, or if they don't get like worked up into this like emotional frenzy during worship, then they feel like they haven't experienced true worship. And don't get me wrong, worship is emotional, and I'm gonna talk about that here in just a second, but it's not a feeling, it's not a emotion. Here's what happens when we begin to view worship as a feeling. What that does is it takes the focus off of God and it puts it on us. It, it takes the focus off of giving God worship and it puts the focus on getting a feeling. And folks, that's not worship. All right, and so if I could just sum all that up. Worship is not a weekend service. It is not a performance. It is not the music in and of itself, and it is not a feeling. And so if it's not those things, the question is, what is it? What is worship? Well, here are a few thoughts. Number one, I believe that the Bible teaches that worship is an attitude of the heart. Okay, and this goes back to our bottom line. John 4, 23, God's looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit, and in truth, remember the spirit is talking about the center of who you are, which we know is our hearts, okay? It's not about external factors. It's about the internal factor of the heart, the very center of everything that we are, worshiping God for everything that he is. It's an attitude of the heart. Number two, worship is a response to God, okay? When we worship God, we are responding to him for who he is which by the way, I'm gonna address here in just a moment in more detail. So number three, worship is emotional, okay? Remember, I just said this. Worship is not a feeling, it's not a emotion, but it should be emotional. Folks, when I get up here and I'm playing guitar and I'm singing these songs and, and I'm beholding the glory and the wonder and the awe of God and I'm thinking about his love and his mercy and his grace towards me, I get emotional, 
Worship is absolutely emotional. God created us to be emotional beings, and so we should give that back to him in worship. Okay, we, we should be feeling joy and happiness and anticipation and hope when we come together and we worship God. And by the way, if you have trouble with that, because some people have a lot of trouble with worship being emotional, then I dare you to go read the Psalms, okay? Because David was very emotional when he wrote songs of worship to God. Number four, and this might be my most important point. Church family, what I want you to know is that worship is giving, not getting. Worship is giving, not getting. Listen, I'm afraid, and I know I'm gonna step on toes, but I'm afraid that some people come to worship to get rather than to give. And, and, and I know this because I hear this. I, I hear people come in and they say, oh, I'm here to get blessed. I'm here to get recharged. I'm here to get refilled. I'm here to get more of the Holy Spirit. I'm here to get, get, get. Can I just tell you this morning that is not what worship is about. It's about giving, not about getting. It's about giving God the adoration and the worship and the praise and the glory and the honor that he deserves. And am I going to get something out of that? When, when, when I do that, am I going to get something out of it? Yes, but that cannot be our motive. When it becomes about us getting something, it ceases to be worship. Perfect example. Again, David. In Psalm 13, and, and I, I encourage you to read this later, but this guy wasn't receiving anything but heartache. I mean, he was in one of the darkest moments of his life. He, he was not experiencing God, and yet what was he doing? He was worshiping. Why? Because he understood that worship is about giving, not about getting. Okay, and so that's what worship is, and I know it's not an exhaustive list, and yes, I could go on and on and on, but hopefully those few points right there help you understand biblically what worship is. Folks, it's an attitude of the heart. It's a response to God. It's, it's, an, it's, it's emotional, and it's giving, not getting. Now comes the question, why? Why do we worship? Well, if you'll turn in your Bibles, to Psalm chapter 95, I'd like to read it through verse seven. Psalm 95 says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are also his. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands form the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So why do we worship? Well, what I gather from Psalm 95 is that we worship because of who God is and because of whose we are. Listen, worship, why do we worship? To respond to God. What are, we, what are we responding to? The fact that he is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. He is the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, mighty God. That's why we worship him. 
More specifically, Psalm 95 gives us a number of statements of who he is. Verse one, he tells us that he's the Lord, the rock of our salvation. It goes on to call him the great God, the great king above all gods. He's praised for his works as as the creator here. He's our maker. Verse seven, he's not some distant deity. No, he's our God, which shows the personal nature of our relationship with him. And then finally, he is our shepherd. Why do we worship? Because of who he is, but also because of whose we are. Look at verse seven. It says, we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. The focus isn't on us, it's on him, his people, the sheep of his pasture, right? He's the shepherd, we're the sheep. He's the creator, we're the creatures. He's the king, we're his subjects. He's the master, we're his servants. He's the vine, we're the branches. He's the owner, we're his possessions. And so why do we worship? Because of who he is and because of whose we are. And so now, one question remains, and that is, how do we worship? We, we, we have a better understanding of, of what it is and, and, and why we do it, so here's a question. What does the Bible say about how we do it? And, and, and again, there are a lot of opinions about how to worship, and we could talk about style, we could talk about methods, we could talk about the use of technologies and, and all those different things, but here's the most important question for the day, and that is, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? And, and, so, and so how do we worship? Well, I think the Bible says that we are to worship together. We are to worship together. If you look at the plural pronouns in Psalm 95, it says this, it says, let us. In fact, it uses that phrase six times, let us Sing, let us shout, let us come before his presence, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel. Now, when it comes to worship, we can and we absolutely should be worshiping on Monday through Saturday. But when we come together on the weekend, we're fulfilling this principle here that says, let us worship. How do we worship? We we should be doing it Together, in fact, Hebrews 10.25 says, don't forsake this moment that we have together and worship him. And so just a little side note, question for you to think about, how's your church attendance? All right, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some. Are you doing that? It's just something to think about this weekend. Because I'll tell you, if you are, forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, then you are missing out on one of the most incredible privileges of the family of God, and that is to worship him together. Not only are we to worship together, but I believe the Bible teaches that we are to worship verbally and physically. Verse one says, sing and shout to the Lord. Verse six, bow down, kneel, In another Psalm, 47.1, clap your hands, all you people. Psalm 63 tells us to lift our hands in worship to God. And so how do we worship? We worship together, and we worship verbally, and we worship physically. And I could go on and on. The Bible teaches that we worship with instruments and and, and all that, but I really don't have time. In fact, I've run out of, of time, sort of. 
And so that's honestly, that, 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 hopefully that 30, 35 minute um, message on what worship is and why we worship and how we worship helps you understand a little bit better what the Bible says. But here's the bottom line. Here's what I want you to walk away with today. That God has called you and God has called me, okay? He's called us to worship him in spirit and truth. Now stop packing up, okay? I'm done with my message, sort of. But we gotta talk about, okay, what is the response to this? Okay, we've talked about what worship is, why we worship, and how we worship. Now what's the response? Well, I think an appropriate response is worship. And so we're gonna do something that I don't think we've ever done here at Calvary. Maybe we have and I just forgot. But we're gonna close this service with worship. And we're gonna do it together and we're gonna do it through music and singing. We're gonna do it verbally. We're gonna do it physically. We're gonna worship together in spirit and truth. We're gonna bow. We're gonna give reverence to. We're gonna show adoration to God. Why? Because of who he is and because of whose we are. We're gonna give worship to God from our hearts. It's gonna be based on the truth of his word. Okay, so, so, so that's how we're gonna respond today. We're gonna worship in spirit and in truth. But here's what I know, okay? Here's what I know. I know that some of you are here today. In fact, many of you come every weekend and, and you, you struggle to, to worship. And, and, and I think that one, one of the problems is that that life has a way of distracting us from being able to see God for who he is and then to also see us for whose we are. Some of you are here today and you're dealing with relational conflict. There's a relationship in your life and something about it is broken and maybe you're bitter towards that person. Maybe you're angry towards that person. Can I just tell you this morning that it's very difficult to worship God when you're angry or bitter at someone else. Okay, John, 1 John 4.20 says it this way. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You see, relational conflict like that hinders our worship. And so if you have a problem with someone, then you need to make it right so that your worship won't be hindered. You say, pastor, the person's not here. I can't deal with it right now. Well, maybe you can deal with it with God right now. And you can go to him in prayer and, and, and your relationship, in your relationship with him, maybe you can make it right and say, God, I, I am wrong for being bitter towards this person. In my heart, I forgive them. God, would you forgive me? I don't want my worship to be hindered. I wanna be able to worship you today in truth and spirit. And then go to that person and make what's wrong right so that your worship won't be hindered. Some of you are here today and you're dealing with condemnation. I think one of the big, biggest roadblocks for myself is, is condemnation. It, it's, it's feeling like I'm not worthy to come to God and worship. It's like the closer I am time-wise to a moment of sin, 
the more ashamed and the more unworthy I am to worship God. But you know, then I'm reminded of Romans 8.1, which says, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so believers, Christians in the room today who are feeling condemnation, listen, God has forgiven you for all of your sins. And by faith, I would just encourage you to accept his approval. Okay, accept his approval. You, you stand before him righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross. Is that a license to go and sin and then come in here and worship as if nothing happened? No, that's not what I'm saying. But if you're feeling condemnation for the mistakes that you've made, quote Romans 8.1 right now, there is now for, therefore now, no condemnation for me because I am in Christ. And worship him in truth and spirit. Some of you are here today and you're dealing with fear. What will my friends or the people around me think if I sing? What, what, are, what are people gonna think if I, if I raise my hands? What are, what are people gonna think if I clap? What are, what are people gonna think if I, if I shout? What, what is my friend next to me gonna think if I'm worshiping God today, but, but they know that yesterday I blew it and I sinned against God? Listen, all of those thoughts are rooted in the fear of man. And God says, do not fear what man can do to you. He's your God. What matters is what he thinks. So let go of the fear and worship him in truth and spirit. And then I gotta share this one too. Okay, earlier I talked about the lenses through which we view worship, our religious upbringing, our generational influences, our personal preference. Folks, I'm afraid that sometimes we come into church with, with those things and we prop them up against what's happening. And if, and if worship isn't fitting the way that, that we view it, then somehow we can't worship. We, we look at it through our, our personal preference, our religious upbringing, our generational influences, but we don't like the lights, we don't like the way the music's going, we don't like the haze, we don't like how loud it is, and so we can't worship. Folks, that's a distraction that needs to be removed. It's not about the external factors. Remember, Jesus told the Samaritan woman that. We're not gonna talk about these external factors. It's not about the history going on here, the geographical, it's not about that stuff. It's about your heart. We can take this stuff, these songs, the volume, the speed, we can take it or leave, we should be able to take it or leave it and worship God no matter what, because it's an act of the heart. And finally, what I would call the greatest distraction to worship of all, and that is lostness. Lostness, the greatest distraction of all, folks, is not having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Listen, you can't worship a God that you don't know. I mean, you might know of God, right? Like you may have been coming to church for a while, checking out this whole God thing, so you know about God, you've been, you've been learning about God, but you can't worship him if you don't know him through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Folks, that's the biggest distraction to worship of all time. 
Now the good news is that that distraction can be removed today, right now, by confessing that you're a sinner, by repenting of that life of sin that you've been living, and by putting your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Can I tell you what the Bible says? It says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Listen, God's glorious standard is so far out of reach, none of us could ever achieve it. We can't do it. You and I, we fail every single day, okay? And we call that sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the bad news is, is that all of our sin, it, it's the, the, the wages of that is death. In other words, all the, all the sin that we've been working on our whole lives, it has earned us the spiritual paycheck of death. And not death like your heart not beating anymore, but death like spiritual uh, separation from God for all eternity. And I know that's bad news. But the good news is that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The good news is that God loved you so much. Even though you couldn't live up to his standard, he loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus who could live up to his standard. And if you put your trust in him, you can have everlasting life. How do I do that? Well, the Bible teaches us in Romans 10, 9 that if you would just confess with your mouth that he is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. The greatest distraction of all time will be removed and you'll be able to worship God in spirit and truth. Listen, if you're here today and you are distracted by your lostness, I want you to know that there is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved but Jesus. Amen. Some of you are here today and you've been trusting the name of popularity. You've been trusting the name of success, the name of pleasure, the name of acceptance, the name of drugs and alcohol, the name of relationships. I'm here to tell you, they're all fakes and they're all phonies, okay? You've been chasing after no names. You've been deceived because there is no other name but Jesus. There is no other name but Jesus. He alone can save. He alone brings true joy and peace and happiness and hope and forgiveness and goodness to our lives. The question is, will you turn from your sin today and put your trust in him as your Lord and Savior? And I, I know we do this a lot and I know it's radical and it's hard for some people to, to embrace this moment, but if you're here today and you've never put your trust in Jesus, I wanna invite you to do that today. And so if you're the person here that's been chasing after all these no-name fakes and phonies, and today you're ready to put your trust in no other name but Jesus, I wanna ask you to just stand to your feet in a bold step of faith saying, I'm ready to trust in Jesus today. Come on, stand to your feet. Today's the day of salvation. Now is the time. God bless you, sir. God bless you. If you guys would just stand up, stay standing up. I commend you for your bravery. God bless you, ma'am.
It takes a lot of courage to stand in front of a bunch of people in a room like this. Amen. God bless you, sir. Anybody else ready to just stop chasing after the things of this world and start chasing after Jesus Christ? Stand up right now. Now's the time to give your life to him. God bless you. You guys stand, remain standing. I know sometimes, God bless you, ma'am. I know, so, I know it's hard to stay standing, but this is the greatest stand you've ever taken in your life. God bless you, young lady. Come on, God's moving in this place today. God bless you. Come on, let's give him praise. Look at all these people standing. These young people in the back, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm moved to tears because of what God's doing. Listen, if you're standing today, I, I wanna lead you through a prayer. And this prayer doesn't save you. There's nothing that you can do to save yourself. It's just by faith, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard thing. Where the very core of who you are comes to the place where you're broken over your sin and you realize your need for a savior. And if that's you today, would you just communicate to God right now your heart? Maybe say something like this, God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I've not been living up to your glorious standard. I know that the penalty for my sin is death, but today I accept Jesus as payment for my penalty. Today I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I turn away from all the no names and I turn to no other name but Jesus today. In faith, I wanna follow you the rest of my life. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Can we give God the praise? Everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. We're gonna close this service with worship. We're gonna celebrate all that God's done. We're gonna worship him for who he is, for whose we are. We're gonna worship him because he's our God, our great king above all gods. Get rid of all the distractions and just worship him. One day. Let's worship him, come on. Holds weight above them all. His how last the earth he formed His presence resounds beyond the stars And echoes in our hearts the Yeah.
greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com. Click on Home, then Knowing Christ.